Welcome, and thanks for checking out the Living Word Family Church Sermon Podcast. Before we get to the message, we'd like to invite you to check out Living Word Family Church if you don't already have a church home. For more information, you can check out our website at livingwordfamily.org. Good evening. I'm going to talk tonight. Uh, be, I've been kind of hanging out here in the middle of Psalms still. We've looked at a couple of different Psalms. I think we did one, Psalm 107 and Psalm 108. I'm going to skip ahead. We're going to look at a couple of others tonight. But first, I want to kind of uh, remind you, uh, going back a couple of years in our journey through the Bible, to the Exodus event. And do you remember what had happened without going into everything that led up to their being in Egypt? I'm talking about the children of you know, the, the offspring of Abraham and the children of Jacob uh, who had left, had, had left the, their homeland because of a famine and come in as royal guests of Egypt. And uh, a family of about 70, and over the course of a couple hundred years, had grown to a uh, number in the millions, probably. We know there were 600,000 men of fighting age uh, at a particular time when they came out. But they, uh, uh, they cried unto God because they're, you know, they, as the centuries rolled by, the powers in Egypt forgot why they were there in the first place. They only saw a a huge number of foreigners that they perceived as at least a potential threat. And so they made their life hard. They they afflicted them greatly until the people cried out to their God, who who as a culture they they had kind of forgotten, apparently. And they cried out uh, somewhere, in their in their remembrances, and that some, something had survived of of their of their faith and remembrance of a promise of a God who had promised them their own land, and they cried out to God for help, and God raised up Moses, of course, and uh, they left, they exited Egypt, and God brought them out, and He brought them out with silver and with gold. Remember this? This is this is in the Psalm. He brought them out with silver and with gold, and there was not one feeble among their tribe. Uh, they plundered Egypt when they left. They gave them money and said, "Go, go, go," uh, because of the plagues and everything that the Lord had visited upon them. And they had seen God's mighty works in the form of those plagues. Uh, a powerful thing, an incredible testimony to the power of their God. And then when they left Egypt, God manifested himself as a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He was visibly with them. And then the sort of the crowning miracle was when they came up against the Red Sea and Pharaoh who'd had second thoughts even after all the plagues, even the Passover, had uh, come out with his army to recapture them, and they back up against the Red Sea. And what happens? Uh, God, through Moses, splits the Red Sea, and they walk across on dry land with with the sea standing up as two walls beside them. They walk across not through the mud, as some movies portray, but on dry land. They walk across, uh, they make it safely across, and as Pharaoh's army pursues them into this divide uh, between the walls of water, uh, God releases the water and drowns Pharaoh's army. Uh, 
And then, uh, next thing you know, they're thirsty. And they're complaining about their thirst. And God brings water out of the rock in the middle of the desert. And then they see the earthquake and the thunderings and the lightning at Sinai. And then, later on, they're thirsty. And God brings water from the rock again. And then, after 40 years of wandering, after their chastening, after their, uh, this massive correction because that first generation, even after all they had seen, that first generation refused to believe God and trust Him and enter into the land that God had promised them. 40 years later, they finally go in and what do they experience? The waters dividing again. The waters just stopping in the river Jordan and they're able to walk across on dry land. So this is, this is the piece of history I want you to remember as we read in Psalm 114. We'll read it all. It's a short psalm. Psalm 114, beginning in verse 1, says, When Israel went out of Egypt, the house of Jacob from a people of strange language, Judah became his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. The sea saw it and fled. Jordan turned back. The mountains skipped like rams, the little hills like lambs. What ails you, O sea, that you fled? O Jordan, that you turned back? O mountains, that you skipped like rams? O little hills like lambs? Tremble, O earth, at the presence of the Lord, at the presence of the God of Jacob, who turned the rock into a pool of water, the flint into a fountain of waters. This is such a beautiful picture of everything I just talked about. Those specific episodes are all referenced right there in that short psalm. But I love how it opens up. When Israel left Egypt, Israel became the dwelling place of God. Judah became his sanctuary. Israel his dominion. And so wherever they went, God went. And whenever they showed up, things changed. When they showed up at the Red Sea, it split. There's a great line, and it's, uh, there's a little bit of doubt as to who originated it. One version of it came uh, apparently from John Dryden, another one from the poet Alexander Pope. When he's describing Jesus turning water into wine, He put it this way, the conscious water saw its master and blushed. Have anybody heard that? The conscious water saw its master and blushed. There is a, uh, and uh, you will all, I'm sure, have some experience in this. There are certain people, when they walk into a room, they change the atmosphere because of who they are, because of their personality, their charisma, their magnetism, or because of their position. I can remember going back, uh, my first real job, uh, working at the IGA here in St. Joe. Uh, Cliff Evans was my boss, and he was kind of a colorful figure. And, uh, but he, uh, other than meeting him to be hired and seeing him, usually uh, we part-timers would show up for our shift at about 4 o'clock. And that's about when the, the full-timers left. So we would, we would show up at 4, and we would see you know, the, the Cliff, the boss, and Terry, the other boss, and the other Terry, and Howard, and, and the other 
full-timers, and then they would leave and then let the part-timers run the store until, not, until closing. And uh, it was a fun job. And, and I took it seriously. I was a good, I was a good employee. Ask anybody. And, uh, we would, but we would enjoy it. It was a, it was a nice environment, you know. You, you see the people you're you're uh, waiting on, you know, bagging groceries for, ringing them up, whatever. You know, people you know, some of your classmates or their parents or whatever. It was just kind of it was a relax. We all got along, for the most part. But something was always different when Cliff came back to the store, which he did. You know, you you're not going to just leave the store uh, in the hands of high schoolers without checking up on it every now and then. So it was never a huge surprise. We expected to see him every now and then. But when he came in, things just kind of changed. And word spread, Cliff's here. And even though you were working, you started working just a little bit harder. Talking just a little bit less. Taking things, even though even conscientious employees, and most of us were, to be honest. I mean, there were, there were some slackers. Uh, but even if you were a conscientious, conscientious employee, you suddenly were a little more serious about your job. Just sort of all the slack got jerked out of the atmosphere when the boss was on the premises. Anybody who's in the military can relate to what it's like when people of a certain rank enter the area. Every private at basic training knows what it's like when the drill sergeant walks into the room. I can remember the day, the moment our drill sergeant walked into the room. We had been in the hands of... Uh, you know, we, we, I won't tell you the whole story. It's a great, it was a great experience. I really probably have time, but I'll just give you the short version of it. The, the, we, we, we really thought we had kind of adjusted to military life after our five days at Fort Jackson for in-processing. You know, we learned to wait and we learned to sit and read out of our books and to be herded here and there. But, but this was all just preliminary stuff. We had our haircut, we got our uniforms and everything. Then we got bussed to Fort Benning. And we were greeted by a grandfatherly figure who was our first sergeant who told us how things were going to be, told us what, what was happening. Hey, you guys are going to get dropped for push-ups. It's just part of the deal. Just do them, you know. It's like, this ain't going to be so bad. And then he marches us into the company area, and then drill sergeants literally come flying off of the roof on rappel ropes, drop right down into our midst, dozens of them, because for the first couple of weeks they've got reserve drills there supplementing. Do they still do that? Uh, for the first couple of weeks, you've got extras there. So, I mean, everywhere you look, there's a Smokey the Bear hat, and they are all screaming, What is taking you so long? Dump that bag out. And there's people just running around screaming, crying, throwing up, peeing, everything. Every manifestation of panic has taken place. And, uh, and I've shared this before. I know I have. Uh, all I could think of for the first 24, maybe 48 hours was, how do I go home? I'm not staying. This is stupid. There's, this is the biggest mistake of my entire life. This is crazy. Uh, but then you kind of, you figure it out. All right, I can do this. You start, you, you take a breath and you realize, man, thousands of guys go through this every summer. Surely I can make it too. And so you get into a rhythm. And, uh, and, and after that first couple of weeks, once they have really kind of trained you enough to march from one place to another, give you just, I mean, you never really experience freedom at basic training, but there are moments when you're standing around waiting after chow, whatever, where there isn't a drill sergeant in your face. And so you kind of, you know, like I'm doing right now, I got my hand in my pocket. I couldn't do that for two years. I couldn't put, put my hand in my pocket because it was trained out of me. You couldn't have your hands in your pockets forever. I think they've changed that too. But no, still don't. The privates at basic training can't, right? 
So anyway, little things that you'd be standing there, you'd talking and everything. Yeah, you suddenly feel like you're a soldier, you know, but you're still a private at basic training. Then all of a sudden a drill sergeant walks around the corner. Yeah, and you just, you're nervous. Nervous for the entire time you're there. You just respond. I can, I can remember as a young officer. Here I am, a second lieutenant, and I've been in for a number of years now. I kind of know my way around, and I'm at some function in Springfield. I'm kind of just wandering around. I don't even remember what I was doing there. I just remember at one point I had a Coke in my hand, and I turned around and literally bumped into a one-star general. Even though it was an Air Force guy, it made me nervous. A little shot at the Air Force there, sorry. I just, because you, this, a general isn't something you bump into every day. I just turned around, I went, <laughs> and he goes, <laughs> he just kind of laughs and pats me on the shoulder. He goes, that's that be easy there, easy there, Lieutenant. And I'm like, <laughs> there's just something about the presence of rank, of certain personalities, of certain people that just change everything. And what the psalmist is saying here is this is what happened to nature itself when God's people went places. It's absolutely accurate to talk about how God split the Red Sea. But I love how the psalmist puts it here. God indwelt his people, and when his people came to the Red Sea, the Red Sea ran away. The Jordan just stopped flowing. We're not getting near those people. The earthquake that happened when God set foot on Mount Sinai, that was the earth shaking nervously in the presence of God and his people. And the water that God brought out from the rock, it's the water, it's the, it's the mountain melting in the presence of God and his people. Things change when God is on the scene and what this psalm is telling us is wherever God's people were, God was on the scene. What a picture of authority. What a picture of power that they never realized, did they? We're going to come back and we're going to read Psalm 115. But first I want to look at this. Another familiar passage back in Joshua chapter 2. Now this is, remember, kind of fast forwarded over it. The first generation that came out of Egypt who had seen all the miracles, who had experienced the Passover, who had experienced, they had seen the pillars of cloud, the pillar of fire. They had uh, physically, with their eyes, seen the manifest presence of God. They saw the Red Sea open. They themselves walked through that dry land, that passage that God made between the walls of water. They saw God turn the, bring water from the rock. They experienced his protection, his provision. They saw his, the manifestation of his presence. They saw the mountain smoking as well as the ground shaking. And after all that, when God brought them to the Jordan and said, go in and take the land, what they said was, well, we would accept the people that already lived there are too strong. This is still to this day one of the things I have the hardest time getting my head around is how the same people who had seen God do all of this. And again, aside from the ministry of Jesus himself, I don't think there is a, more, there is a, a time period in the Bible where more miraculous things happened at once. And, and, you know, 
make a list of all the miracles in the Bible, you're talking about a huge number of them in a short time, all in the same generation. They saw these things. And the people that saw that somehow couldn't trust God to get them into the land that he brought them out for in the first place. So when you look at it from that perspective, you kind of understand God's reaction, which is, if you're not going to trust me, then you will die in the wilderness. I'm going to give it to your children. And, uh, and when he laid that down, then they're all like, okay, we change our mind, we'll go in. And <laughs> no, nope, sorry, there is no, and there was absolutely no excuse for their unbelief at that point. You know, there's no excuse for our unbelief, and we haven't seen the things they've seen. All right, imagine, imagine. I, and, I, and I can't, I'm not sure, I, I still can't really fathom. Uh, I, I cannot uh, figure that one out. I mean, it's something I probably need to think about and pray about, because I, I, I just... The, the people that saw everything they saw would not go in. And so they wait. And the, and this, the book of Numbers talks about how they wandered around. Well, they, they, they learned a few things anyway. And they still experienced God's provision. He still fed them. He kept their shoes and their clothes from wearing out. And they learned how to make war. They learned how to make war. And they won some great victories. And the next generation grew up. And they got ready to go in. And so... And then Joshua picks up the story. After Moses dies, Joshua takes over as leader. And then this next generation gets ready to go into the land. And so they send in some spies to check it out. And back in Joshua chapter 2. We'll start in verse 1 just so we have the context. It says, Now Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out... (laughs) sent out two men from Acacia Grove to spy secretly, saying, Go, view the land, especially Jericho. So they went and came to the house of a harlot named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, men have come here tonight from the children of Israel to search out the country. So the king of Jericho sent to Rahab, saying, Bring out the men who have come to you, who have entered your house, for they have come to search out all the country. Then the woman took the two men and hid them. So she said, Yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they were from. And it happened as the gate was being shut when it was dark that the men went out. Where the men went, I do not know. Pursue them quickly, for you may overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof and hidden them with the stalks of flax, which she had laid in order on the roof. Then the men pursued them by the road to Jordan to the fords as soon as those who pursued them and as soon as those who pursued them had gone out they shut the gate Now before they lay down she came up to them on the roof and said to the men I know listen to this I know that the Lord has given you the land that the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. This is such a cool thing because 
everything that they had experienced as a people, all the things that they witnessed God doing, word of that had already come to the inhabitants of Jericho. We heard how God has done these things for you. Probably for 40 years, they've been shaking in their boots. They've probably been scratching their head. How can a people who've experienced this, people who have clearly got God on their side, what are they waiting for? What are they waiting for? It had to have been torture. You know, you think about the, the, the Cold War, how people used to just dread, you know, any moment somebody could push the button and be a nu- nuclear holocaust. We just don't know. We got the power to do it. They got the power to do it. And in this case, they're like, any time they could come and they're going to wipe us out. We can't stand against the people who've got that kind of power on their side. The terror, had fa- the terror of Israel had fallen on all of them. They had a better appreciation of what God was capable of than Israel did. Nature itself <laughs> seemed to have a better appreciation. Nature appreciated Israel and and. Uh, and its place as God's dwelling more than Israel itself, Israel herself did. Now, I want to read Psalm 115, which is a little bit longer, but still just, just about a column worth. So, so let's read the whole thing. It's very exciting. Psalm 115, verse 1. Not unto us, O Lord, not unto us, but to your name give glory. Because of your mercy, because of your truth, Why should the Gentiles say, so where is their God? But our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. Their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but they do not speak. Eyes they have, but they do not see. They have ears, but they do not hear. Noses they have, but they do not smell. They have hands, but they do not handle. Feet they have, but they do not walk, nor do they mutter through their throat. Those who make them are like them. So is everyone who trusts in them. O Israel, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has been mindful of us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both great and both small and great. May the Lord give you increase more and more, you and your children. May you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. The heaven, even the heavens are the Lord's, but the earth he has given to the children of men. The dead do not praise the Lord, nor nor any who go down into silence, but we will bless the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. Praise the Lord. When probably my favorite, I love this whole psalm. It's worth memorizing. I don't have it memorized, but it's worth memorizing. But I love verse 11, where it says, You who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. Because what is the point of believing in a God like our God? 
if you don't trust him. The Bible, this psalm, talks about it specifically, but we also see specific other passages in Scripture where it talks about, the, the prophets talk about this. And you can, you can read the incredulity with which they write this stuff. These nations that God has given you victory over are very loyal to their gods. And their gods are nothing but clay, wood, and stone. Their gods clearly have no power. They are made with human hands. It's ridiculous that anybody could worship these things, and yet they do, and they are truer to their gods than you are to yours, and your God is real. Your God is the God who made all the wood, all the stone, all the clay, and men's voices, and men's hands, and everything else. The God you fear is the real God. Why can't you trust him? You know what he's capable of. You know what he's done. Look at your history as a nation. Look at your experience as a people. And then you look at at everything he just says here in Psalm 115. And you look back at Psalm 114 and you remember. When when Israel came out of Egypt, the, uh, the house of Jacob... From a people of a strange strange language, Judah became his sanctuary and Israel his dominion. When you talk about people that change the atmosphere, that's who we should be. Not so much in the sense that people are afraid of us, the terror of them of us falling on them. But when we walk in, we should walk in absolutely full of the knowledge that when I walked in the door, God walked in the door. And if we are conscious of that, oh my goodness, we should expect things to change in a number of ways. Listen, I'm going to get all preachy here, man. I mean, when, when this goes through my mind, I'm, I, I become Shambach or somebody like that in my brain. Only I don't preach like Shambach, all right? But it's like, man, if, if the Red Sea is going to flee before Israel, sickness is going to flee before me. If the Jordan is going to flee before Judah, then poverty is going to flee before me. When I walk into situations in my life, those things that are against me run away because God walks in with me. This is, we got to see our, we have got to see ourselves as victorious already. When, and there's so many, man, I, I, I was racking my brain to come up with the perfect movie scene, and I just can't. But there's so many great scenes when you're thinking, you know, if somebody's in trouble, uh, things are looking grim, and then somebody walks into the room, and you just breathe a sigh of relief. You know it's great now. Steve Austin just came in, and he's going to, he's going to, Conk the bad guys with his bionic arm or something like that. Uh, you know, watch the Avengers movie or something like that. There's just something cool about when certain people walk into the room and you just feel better. Bond, James Bond. But we are so much more than that. We are so much more powerful than that. We are. Why? Because we are the dwelling place of God. It's one thing to picture the cloud and the fire. God with us, but this, when it, I love that language. Judah became his dwelling place. Wherever they went, God was there. And this is even more, God in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Where we go, no, no wonder Paul writes with such emphasis. If God be for us, who can be against us? Who can stand against us? 
Really, who can stand against us if God, if the Holy Spirit, God himself, is inside us? What are we afraid of? But that's only part of the story. And I'm wrapping this up, so praise and worship team, you can be coming up here. I want to talk about it in terms of our enemies, in terms of the things that attack us, because we have been given victory over sickness, victory over poverty, victory over depression. I mean, we just, we are supposed to be walking into every situation and every relationship in confidence, almost a cockiness that, that we never quite see. We see this timidity in Israel that, that is, that's hard to understand knowing what we know, reading this story. But we ought to always be fearless, knowing that sickness has no dominion over us. Everything that has anything to do with the curse of sin has been rendered powerless by the cross. But not only that, I'm thinking also in terms of, uh, I love reading the stories of guys like Smith Wigglesworth, who when they walked on into a train car or into something like else, it wasn't just a matter, it wasn't a matter of people cowering. When they walked in, without saying a word, people would come and drop to their knees at these people, at the guys like Wigglesworth's feet. And there, weren't, there aren't too many guys in history like this. But they would just be convicted of sin and say, what must I do to be saved? Wouldn't that be something? We hear we rack our brains trying to figure out how we're going to drag Jesus into a conversation. How am I going to wedge my faith into this? Wouldn't it be something to walk in so full of the presence of God and so convinced of the presence of God and so confident in that that we are just trusting God to convict sinners so that they start the conversation? Something about the very presence of a holy God in our life that causes people to ask us, what do I need to do to be right with God? What do you have that I don't have? Is that something we can believe for? Is that unreasonable? I don't think it is. And in this, uh, as we walk in the fulfillment of this vision, live the gospel, preach the gospel, that's what we ought to be aiming for. Everything, but, but you see, you know, we were singing this song uh, during praise and worship, and there was that line, we won't stop until the whole world knows that you're a great God, great God. And if they will, they ought to be able to experience something of the greatness of God just by being in my presence and in your presence. You know what I mean? Uh, and it's nice when we even just get a little taste of that, just a little taste of that. I can remember, and I'm not, this is not, not patting myself on the back. I'm just, I'm talking about this is a tiny taste of that. I can remember when I, I've told you stories about when I worked at this uh, Tibetan restaurant. You know, this is one of my great experiences in life, working for the nephew of the Dalai Lama. And uh, the people, the interesting and strange people that I met during that time. But there was a, and, and all of us who were uh, uh, waiters and waitresses there were college students. And there was this guy, I can't remember his name. We weren't tight or anything. And I can't remember what it was I said. You know, I was, I w- it wasn't like I spent all my time preaching to my fellow wait staff. I don't know if he'd heard, overheard a conversation with Jigme, my boss, because he was fascinated at, with my faith for some reason. Uh, you know, I think I've told you before, he was always determined to show, to show me how we really almost pretty much believe the same thing, you know. 
you know, you, you guys believe in resurrection, right? Well, we believe in, in uh, reincarnation. It's the same thing, right? No, it's not the same thing. And I don't know if he'd overheard a conversation, but this guy was, this fellow waiter was like, so uh, what is this? So you're, uh, you're religious, right? No, I'm not religious. You know, I, I, I believe, you know, my relationship with Jesus Christ is very important to me. And so he let me share with him, and he was just... And I'm thinking, man, I'm reaching this guy. He's asking questions. He's like, that is so cool. That is so cool. That is so cool. I've got to be honest. I've never really met anybody like you. I've never really met anybody with a faith. I'm like, well, you know. You know, this is available to you too. I know, man, you've made that clear. That's great. That's great. I don't remember how far. I honestly don't remember how far the conversation went. <laughs> I just remember the next day or the next time we're working together, he's like, hey, I really appreciate our conversation the other day. And uh, I really decided I'm going to become a person of faith. Fantastic. Did you commit your life to Christ? No, no. I got my own thing now. I think of what I've, what I've decided on, it's kind of a mixture of uh, shamanism and, and he starts listing about how, how he's, and he's really proud of this because he didn't just want to copy me. He just wanted to. He wanted what I had, but he didn't want it. I'm like, no, no, this is not how it works. And it's like I went from feeling like, wow, I've inspired this guy to I have failed miserably. How did you arrive at this? But he felt like, well, he wanted, he wanted something I had, but he didn't want to be a, he wanted to be an original. So, uh, yeah, I want, I want faith too, but I need to come up with my own little, you know, like a salad bar or something, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But there's still... There's still something in us that ought to inspire people, ought to drive people to ask what it is about us. And I don't know any way to achieve that. I do. There's no one way. Uh, but, But the number one thing is to pray to God for that. Lord, wherever I go, make me a shining light. Use me, indwell me to such a degree that people don't even see me, they see you. They don't sense me, they sense you. And then, of course, on the practical side, what has to happen is, you know, we say, you who fear the Lord, trust in the Lord. We've got to be people of trust. They should not be able to sense fear or worry or any of the other negative things that drive people. And then finally, what else should they be seeing? They should be seeing obedience, right? Because if we really believe him, really trust him, what we're going to be doing is living our lives in accordance with his word. And sometimes that can feel like a drag. Sometimes that's the hardest part, but it is absolutely necessary because if they don't see us obeying the word, they will never believe that we believe the word, right? Stand up with me. I want us just to walk boldly, fearlessly, and joyfully. And how can we not, if we really know that the one true God is for us, for us, with us, and in us, wherever I set my foot, I'm stepping in victory, I'm stepping in confidence, knowing that I'm protected, I'm bulletproof. Thanks for listening. We hope that this message encouraged and equipped you in your walk with Christ. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram to stay updated with what's going on at Living Word Family Church. Have a great day.